now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. I am Alex Shane here with you celebrating the end of week four. The beginning of October, in my opinion, the single greatest sports month on the calendar. Lots to get to today. The Red Sox are going to be in the playoffs. Woo! ML, MLB playoffs are here. And NBA starting soon. NHL's kicking off pretty soon. Football is in full swing. Ball is in the air. Rich Hill, how are you, buddy? I am doing well. I am doing very well. I am excited uh, for the football season to really start. You know, the, the preseason's over, the you know first four weeks of the season, which are essentially an extension of the preseason as the team trying to figure out who they are. That's in the rear view. I'm very excited for real football, real sports. How are you doing, Alec? I am just great, my man. Uh, surprisingly great, because usually if the Patriots are one and three, and looking <laughs> at the very bottom of the AFC East, I'm pretty miserable and grumpy to be around, but... Overall, man, I'm still pretty happy with how the Patriots look through this early stretch of the NFL season. I want to talk about Pat's Bucks. Obviously, that was the most hyped regular season game ever. I'm so glad it's over for so many reasons. But before we get to that game, I want to go around the league a little bit, talk about the week that was in the NFL, starting with, in my opinion, one of the biggest shocks I can remember in a long time, which is the New York football Jets taking on the Tennessee Titans. I know initially I was like, oh, you know, the Jets to lose all the time because the first and foremost they battle for the AFC East, and now the Patriots are sitting there at the very bottom of the East with the Jets, having a tiebreaker over them, but that's really the only thing separating the two of them. However, at the same time, if the Jets can beat the Titans, Rich Hill, it kind of shows me that, that after that top tier, which consists of basically the Bills and the Chiefs, maybe the Ravens, you make a case of the Ravens as well, but other than those three teams, it is an absolute cluster of teams below them in the AFC East and, and the AFC, excuse me, and the Pats are kind of right in that mix. Oh, totally. I mean, the Jets got super lucky that the Titans were missing both Julio Jones and AJ Brown. So like pretty fortunate circumstance for them to come out with the victory there. But yeah, totally. I completely agree. I, I think that if you look at the current teams that are, you know, three and one in the conference, you got the Chargers, the Bengals, the Bills, the Ravens, the Broncos, the the Raiders as well as the Browns. Who of those are, like, really, truly world beaters? Like, definitely the the Bills look better. The Ravens have that potential because we know who they are. But, like, the Bengals squeaked out a win against the Jaguars. They had to come back from behind to beat the now 0-4 and Jaguars. The Browns beat the Vikings 14-7. to uh, The Broncos just lost to the Ravens, and they looked horrendous while doing it. And so you look up and down at these, like, top teams, and you're like, are the Patriots necessarily that much worse than them? If they were able to go toe-to-toe with the defending champs like this, don't you feel pretty good about the prospects of them if they can you know, right the ship and protect the football better than they have been? Can't they make some noise in this conference? Because on the other side of it, you look at the teams that are one of the three just like the Patriots, you got a bunch of cellar dwellers where you have the the uh, Texans right now that are one and three. You got the Colts, Dolphins, Jets, uh, throw in the Steelers as well. All of these teams have huge point differential in the negatives. You know, like they've been losing games left and right by multiple scores. I mean, you look at the Dolphins, their point differential is negative 47. The Texans is negative 49. The, the Steelers is negative 26. So these are teams that are losing by multiple scores throughout the year. 
the Patriots, despite being one and three, they have a positive point differential. They they have a plus one, which means that even though they're losing, they're coming really close. They they have the makeup of a team that is going to sit right around 500. Hopefully, they'll be able to edge out on the positive side of it because I don't think that you're going to need to have a you know 11 win season to make the playoffs this year. I totally agree. Again, usually 10 wins would have gotten you in. Uh, it's a 17-game schedule this year, so who knows if that'll mess things up. You need 11 wins to get in. I, I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, I think the AFC East is pretty much Buffalo's to lose. But after that, you know, it's going to be a very, very interesting wild card race for sure and a really exciting stretch of the home stretch of the season, especially if the indicator is – any indicator, excuse me, of the first four weeks because there have been some amazing games so far from week one all the way on down. Starting with, honestly, this past week, uh, Patriots-Bucks. I think you and I both predicted the Buccaneers' loss. I think I'm a Buccaneers' win. I thought the Bucks were going to blow the Patriots out of the water. I figured Tom Brady coming home off that loss to the Rams needs to – he's got that chip on his shoulder still. He's going to show the world that he's just still the best quarterback of all time, regardless of age. And Mac Jones is nothing to be reckoned with and, and blah, blah, blah. I think it was like a 35-14 I predicted in our last week's Thursday podcast. Bucks barely squeaked it out on a missed field goal, which we'll talk about later, I imagine. But honestly, if I had to be objective and say who was the better quarterback out there, Mac Jones or Tom Brady, I'm saying Mac Jones. I I am. Oh, totally. Especially when you consider who they're throwing the ball to. You know, Brady's got to throw it to Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, and Chris Godwin. You got three all-pro wide receivers right there. Uh, Who is Mac Jones throwing it to? Other than Jacoby Myers, uh, you got Kendrick Bourne, who I think has earned more playing time, and Nelson Aguilar, and oh, by the way, Brandon Bolden. those, Those are your targets for Mr. Mac Jones. And so... I completely agree. Mac Jones is doing as much as he could with much lesser talent than Tom Brady was. And yes, Brady definitely did enough to win, but putting up 19 points against this Patriots team is pretty mediocre. I'm not super surprised that like the Bucks won, but the way that it happened definitely surprised me. So Rich, what did what we talked about Mac Jones? the Patriots defense. I think maybe they're getting not enough credit or they're getting poo-pooed more. They do struggle against the run. That's true. Leonard Fournette had himself a day. That's now the third or fourth week in a row. They give over 100 yards on the ground, but 19 points is Bucks offense, 19 points. What did the Buccaneers do to Tom Brady to stifle him? Because what I personally saw was open receivers down the field, Brady having time to throw, but it's unable to connect uh, for various reasons. Was it, did the nerves get to him? Was it the weather? Or was it just the secondary being good in coverage? Yeah, I mean, the, the rain definitely didn't help. But I, I think what the Patriots did so well was disguise their coverages. You know, they, they played a lot of tight man coverage, so they matched up hat on a hat. Uh, J.C. Jackson was covering Mike Evans. Uh, Jalen Mills was covering Chris Godwin. And then Jonathan Jones was covering Antonio Brown. And that was pretty much the entire game. They said, we're going to match you up perfectly. Uh, and then Devin McCourty kind of played a rotation. So McCourty was, you know, doubling whoever looked like they were coming down the field, whether it was Evans or Godwin, and that you know that that's how the Patriots decided to play them. And they played them tightly, so Brady had to hold the ball or make tight throws. And, and you know, Duggar did a great job on Cameron Brait, uh, and, and Adrian Phillips did a great job covering the running backs out of the backfield as best as he could. Uh, but I, I think that what the Patriots did is kind of the blueprint that we've always known on how to stop Tom Brady, which is, drop a lot of players into coverage and try and generate pressure with four. And Matt Judon had himself a day. I think Dietrich Wyatt's also had a very strong performance, and he's been very good this year. But I think that Judon is the big reason why Tom Brady was unsettled in the pocket. Judon was beating Donovan Smith off the left side. 
regularly and getting to Tom Brady, forcing him off his throws, making him move. And I, I think that with the the pressure getting there so quickly, the Patriots, uh, you know, secondary, which is very good, they were able to capitalize and, and make sure that a lot of passes weren't necessarily completed. I'll tell you, Rich Hill, as a amateur Patriots analyst and sports writer, I am very grateful that Judon wears those bright red sleeves yes. because it's really the only way you can keep track of him. He is everywhere. Anywhere he, on the field he can line up aside from, like, safety, he's doing it, and he's doing it well. Uh, I'm, I was starting to wonder, like, hey, don't you want to kind of disguise yourself a little bit more? But I guess if you're that dominant and you're playing that well, having those red sleeves just must be very intimidating for opposing quarterbacks. He is hands down the best for design they've made so far. Both tight ends had a little bit of a breakout game, talk about the offense in a minute. But, yeah, Matt Judon is really having himself a career year so far in New England. And I'm glad you brought up Dietrich Wyatt because he's not really showing up on the stat sheets as much as maybe people would think he might. But he's very disruptive. He moves quarterbacks off the pocket all the time. And the edge of the New England defensive line is really, really doing some good things right now. And I do agree that's why Tom Brady was so flustered. However, they are still struggling against the run. This is now the second or third year in a row that running backs have been able to kind of wear them down. And what we're seeing from the Patriots is there are certain times when the offense just can't get off the get on the field for longer than a drive or two. Yep. The defense to go out and stop the run again and again. The third and fourth quarter comes along, and as any defense would be, they just get kind of gassed. So what I'm hoping happens is once the offense finds its rhythm a little bit more, once the offensive line gets short, which I'd love to talk to you about because I'm really concerned about the offensive line right now, we'll start getting longer drives, and that will allow the defense to rest a little more, and which will then in turn help them stop the run. But I might be being optimistic there. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, I think there's part of me who wonders if the Patriots deployed their traditional, like, let's let them run the ball really well, so then they'll keep giving it to Leonard Fournette and keep this a lower-scoring game, and so that way Brady isn't slinging the ball to his all-pro wide receivers the entire day. And if they have some success on the ground, maybe they'll keep running it. And that, like, you know, I'd rather give up three, four yards on the ground at a time than give up those 20-plus yard chunk plays that will inevitably happen if he airs the ball. On the other side of it, the Patriots just couldn't stop them on, on third and short. Leonard Fournette was just getting every single first down that he needed, and that is definitely indicative of the Patriots' run defense not being great. I think Lawrence Guy has not played up to his capabilities this year. I think Godshaw has been fine, um, but he seems more like a rotational player, and, and I personally think that Barmore is still very evidently a rookie. I think he has some like really good and notable plays, um, but he's standing up more as a pass rusher than a run defender. And I think that the Patriots need to have better production from their beefy players on the interior if they're going to be a stronger defense against the run. Because I think that, I mean, the Patriots still have a very good defense. They're, they're one of maybe six teams that have a, a like, over at, like, overproduction, like, net positive defense you know it's not just staving off the offense they're actually good uh you know taking the ball away creating opportunities for the offense um but i think when it comes to being like a good run defense they're definitely not one of them uh they're definitely one of the worst run defensive teams in the league right now uh in despite you know having a top five secondary at this point in time i i think that if they're going to be winning these slugouts, they need to be better at stopping the run. And uh, part of it comes with better linebacker play as well, because I, I think for as good as Judon is, as good as Dietrich Wise has been playing on the edge, I think that there is definitely still weak up the middle. I think that Hightower uh, is still shaking off the rust like we were talking about before, and they definitely missed Bentley out there. Rich, are, are you concerned about the linebacker core at all? 
because all offseason we talked about how deep that unit was and how Bill Belichick covets himself some strong, versatile, intelligent linebacker that can kind of be the bridge between the secondary and the defensive line, control the line of scrimmage, cover up uh, disguise the looks and whatnot. And yeah, I agree. I think the linebacker play has been been very subpar this season. Is that more kind of like a, they're still trying to gel kind of thing, shaking off the rust, or I think there's just some kind of fundamental thing that just there's missing? Yeah, I, I think it's something that they're just missing a little bit. I think their depth is outstanding on the edge. Uh, you know, they have endless talent of like starter capable players on the outside. If you add outside of Judon and Dietrich Wise, who I think are, have been very, very good. Kyle Van Noy has been playing a little bit on the edge. Uche on the edge. Winovich on the edge. These are all players that are very good on the outside. But when you ask them to go off the ball, they're not as good. You know, Van Noy's strength is being close to the line of scrimmage, but you need someone who can play well off the ball. And outside of Hightower, you have Bentley on the roster and Adrian Phillips, who's definitely on the lighter side of things. And he's great, but he's definitely still lighter. And so... I think fundamentally the Patriots are missing the depth and like upside at that linebacker position that they need to take advantage of their defensive front play uh, because I, I think that they're just not as uh, solid as they should be. You know, Belichick's defense goes as far as their linebackers can take them, uh, and, and right now they're still lacking in the talent side. Yeah, they are. But the good news is, I feel like we're having all these, maybe not negative things to say, but they're not playing at strength right now, and they're still keeping their team in it. They're keeping their rookie quarterback in it. They held the Buccaneers to 19 points, which is no easy feat. The Patriots have been more or less, except for the Saints game, honestly, ready within a one score uh, the entire game. And once that gets settled and once the offense gets settled, uh, I think there will be in a scenario where if they keep, keep it, continue to keep it close, Mac Jones and this offense will figure it out because, look, man, if you were to tell me you were going to go up against the Tom Brady-led Buccaneers with yep. that defensive front, with that secondary, and you were going to combine for negative four yards on the ground with a rookie making his fourth career start in prime time against the greatest quarterback of all time, playing his old team in the most hyped-up regular season game possibly in NFL history – I just said, wow, it's going to be a massive blowout. Like, what, 40 nothing with the Bills-Texans score here? But <laughs> he looked so poised. They gave him basically the no huddle, let him call it at the line. He had zero support from the run game. The offensive line is still a mess. And he had a, what, 77% completion percentage? Yep. Two touchdowns and a pick. That wasn't his I, fault. I, that wasn't even his fault. I mean, it wasn't, like, the the easiest catch to make. But, like, with Aguilar, probably should have made that catch and left his hands. And... I mean, how can you not be impressed with this kid? Oh, totally. I mean, he did everything that you could ask of from him. All right, so wanting to stack up just the stage of what Mac Jones was up against. So not only did the Bucks blitz him nearly every other snap, I believe their blitz rate, depending on who you want to and how you want to describe a blitz, were between 40 to 50%. So nearly every other snap that Mac Jones was dropping back, he experienced a blitz. So immediately he's facing pressure and he's going to have to make quick decisions. Then you have an offensive line that you mentioned is in disarray. At right tackle, they are just a disaster. Heron and Durant are both not playing well. They miss Trent Brown immensely because both of these players, uh, I mean, they're playing in rotation because neither of them deserve to be a starter. They both get benched throughout the day because they can't do it sustainably. On the other side, Onwenu at left guard was benched, likely for some other reason. Uh, you know, he definitely wasn't playing well. He had, like, a couple of 
quarterback hits allowed as well as a couple of offensive line holds, but he's been their best offensive lineman all year. So I imagine that benching has to do with something else. Like there, there must be something going on because uh, other players on the line were just as bad and they didn't get benched. So I think at left guard, you know, they had a, a rotation and a sieve issue there. And so Mac Jones facing a blitz doesn't have a good offensive line. James White is on the injured reserve. Your only blitz pickup running back is on the injured reserve. And so you put out Brandon Bolden, who's your special teams player, who does, like, an adequate job. I mean, he, he did a very good job as a receiving back this game. Uh, but he's not James White. So you're playing shorthanded on the offensive line and with your blitz pickup back. So Mac Jones has no chance against the splits. And then, as you say, he completes 77.5% of his passes, 31 out of 40. At one point in time, he completed 19 passes in a row. He was hitting so many different players. Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Brandon Bolden, Henry, uh, Hunter Henry, and Johnny Smith all had five or more targets. So Mac Jones was distributing the ball which is incredible because that means he wasn't just picking a favorite. Like, obviously, Jacoby Myers was his favorite target, but he was going to everyone else, and, you know, Myers was that hot route often, so that's why he would get it. But he was <laughs> distributing the ball. And so for Mac Jones to elevate his play to, you know, do what he was able to do against a very, very elite pass rush to get smacked around like he was, to not have the offensive protection help that he needed, and to have negative rushing yards on offense for the fourth time in NFL history and for the very first time by a team not named the Detroit Lions <laughs> to have negative production in the run game means that Jones had to put this entire team on his back because he could get no help from the offensive line, no help from the running game, and he did what he could do to put the team in position to almost come out with a win. You know when your leading rusher is Nelson Aguilar, who had one carry for four yards, Oof. and your and your second leading rusher is a combined Brandon Bolden and J.J. Taylor, who each had one carry for zero yards. You know, <laughs> it's not just going well up, up front. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder about a couple of things. I feel like in 2019 or so, Rich, Isaiah Wynn was injured at the left tackle position, and we were saying – when Isaiah Wynn comes back, it'll allow the offensive line to gel because everyone's kind of shuffling and, and they're playing multiple roles. And, you know, the offensive line really is operated as one cohesive unit. And when one guy's out, it really does affect the roles and the responsibilities of each guy to his right or left. And then Wynn came back and the improvement was marginal and it wasn't yep. as good as we were hoping. Uh, I'm wondering if I'm going to be making the same excuse, hoping that when Trent Brown comes back at right tackle, everything will not will magically just go away, but – It'll alleviate some responsibilities for the right tackle and the right guard and the left guard and the left tackle. And David Andrews can start calling the protection schemes better. But that might just be a pipe dream. And it might just be a scenario where this offensive line, while they look very talented on paper, it just, just for some reason isn't that good. Totally. I mean, there's always an option because Isaiah Wynn himself has been average this year. And he has historically been like an average tackle. So like, you can win with that. That's fine. When you have a sub-replacement level right tackle and an average left tackle, though, you're not giving your quarterback a lot of time in the pocket because then pressure can come from both ends. So you need to have at least a strength on one side so then you can cheat some of your protection to give them support. You know, Put a tight end next to your weaker right tackle because you can trust your other four to take care of it. They're not in that position right now. The hope is that Trent Brown is able to give the Patriots two average production right tackle or average production tackles so then you can kind of disguise your protections and give some extra help that is a major if because trent brown played 
six snaps this year, eight snaps this year. So we don't know if he is the Trent Brown that got that record tackle contract, or is he a Trent Brown that got released by the Raiders because he wasn't playing or, you know, traded by the Raiders, but, you know, not used because he wasn't living up to expectations. And so which Trent Brown are the Patriots going to get? We have no idea. So we could very well be looking at this in a week or two and being like, oh, well, this is going to be a long season because I, the Patriots just don't have the the talent right now on the backup offensive line to have any sort of atrophy with their starters. And any any more injuries that could happen is just going to be a disaster. So we have to hope that Brown is going to help elevate the, the offense because having negative production from your run game is just unacceptable uh, at any level of football, but especially in the NFL. While we're saying all offseason, this is going to be a running team, those two tight ends, good offensive line, not asking a quarterback to do too much. They're going to run through the run game, and then you have negative four yards. Makes us both look like idiots. Not for the first <laughs> time, but let me pose this question for you, though, Rich. While we're talking about the offensive line, and we're praising Mac Jones, and rightly so, he deserves the praise he's getting considering how well he's performing as a rookie. But we always heard the great quarterbacks calling out the Mike linebacker, pointing at the secondary, talking to the center, diagnosing the blitz, helping the blocking scheme get it signed before the snap. I feel like the quarterback also has to bear some of the responsibility for the blocking scheme because they have to be on the same page. So might this also be a combination of what you were talking about, how Trent Brown needs to come in, the guys aren't just playing that well. Just having a rookie who is still learning how to successfully diagnose a, a well-disguised NFL defense, maybe he's making the wrong, wrong, wrong call sometimes. I mean, maybe. I mean, there's definitely a chance for that. I would be shocked if Josh McDaniels said, rookie, here you figure out all of the, the protection scheme. That's definitely where, in my mind, they would rely on David Andrews to communicate back to him. That said, I think that Mac Jones is doing a pretty good job because uh, he has been the most blitz quarterback in the entire NFL. Like, bar none, he has faced more blitzes than any quarterback. And for him to have such a high completion rate despite facing that added pressure, it means that he is finding the open receiver, and it's something that he's having to do snap after snap after snap. And so I, I, I want to give him a lot of credit for finding the right player because that comes with understanding where the pressure is coming from and diagnosing it quickly to make that right play. And I, I think as it relates to, you know, kind of just the the completion rate that he's been able to put together. Uh, I, I want to say that he is doing as much as you possibly could ask of, of, of a young rookie quarterback. A special with no running game. Again, I still can't believe negative four yards rushing. I know the Buccaneers are a good team defensively, but that's just insane to have yeah. that. I, I really hope Ramon Stevenson comes back in. I really, I'm not hoping he's going to be kind of, yeah, he's some kind of like savior of the offense. But you know, if it's third and one, he can get you two yards. He, that's he can definitely do that. He is a good receiving back. I know he is questionable as a blitz pickup guy, but he's a big dude. And no offense to JJ Taylor, but he's like five six and 180 pounds. I'd rather have a 235 pound back there protecting Mac Jones. Uh, now that Taylor had that fumble, he might be in the doghouse now. So hopefully Stevenson comes back. Maybe he's injured. I don't know, but. Uh, I really hope their decision, Belichick makes some decisions to, to get him back out there, which is a decent segue, Rich Hill, into Belichick's decisions. Yeah. Uh, I think there are a couple ones that are a little controversial. He's not a stranger to controversial calls. Uh, may as well start backwards and work our way toward the beginning of the game. It was third and three. Jacoby Myers was wide open on a quick slant. Mac Jones saw it, had the completion, but successfully batted down at the line. Good defensive play from the Buccaneers. 56-yard attempt in the rain. 
with a minute left. Nick Folk, who's coming off an injury, not great for 50-plus. He decides to hit the field goal, almost makes it in his credit, dings off the left upright, could have been put him ahead, but I personally think he should have gone for it there. Do you agree? Oh, I absolutely agree. I think there were multiple times they should have gone for it during this game where they didn't. That ended up coming back to bite them. I think right before the half, they had a fourth and two on the Bucks' 44-yard line that they decided to punt on. And then Brady led the Bucks back down the field and kicked a field goal to put some points on the board right before the half. That was a bad decision uh, where it was way too conservative, and we've seen that from Bill over the past two years. Um, but in the same way, at the end of the game, absolutely they should have gone for it on fourth and three. There's no question in my mind that having Nick Folk go out there in so much rain, uh, where he's dealing with a little bit of an injury, where he ha- would have to hit a career-long field goal in order to win this game, where that career long took place a decade ago, where he hasn't hit a kick over 51 yards or 52 yards in five seasons, where Nick Folk, uh, you know, hasn't been asked by the Patriots to kick a lot of really long field goals. It would make no sense to put him out there in that situation, whereas the Patriots, they converted on three of their four third and short uh, and third and short opportunities this game. You know, Belichick came out and was like, we haven't been super good on third down this game. And it's like, yeah, well, obviously, you were in third and nine on like six or more plays. And so that's a much different scenario than third and fourth and short. And so for the Patriots to not be able to convert on fourth and third or to not even try is a terrible decision. And what the best, best, best case scenario is that Nick Folk would make that field goal. Patriots would take a 20 to 19 lead. And oh, by the way, Tom Brady would come back with a minute on the clock and like two timeouts. So like, what do you think is going to happen on that one? Of course, Brady can come back and score a field goal again to take back the lead. Like, this is not a decision made to try and win the game. It's a decision to try to, you know, kind of like end the game as quickly as possible. Like I I don't even, I don't understand the logic behind Belichick going to the field goal there because in no scenario does it end the game. No, I mean, I I can't think, I guess it's technically possible that the Patriots get a stop, but of course they're not going to get a stop. That's that's, that's what Tom Brady does. He's got literally two decades of game film of him leading fourth quarter comebacks. And he has a minute and two minute and two timeouts is an eternity for Tom Brady, especially given that talent level and how little pressure they were getting on him. They basically started kind of dropping back into like a three-man rush and hoping to kind of do some coverage there. I don't know. But yeah, I, I really, really question that decision-making process. I think Mac Jones could have gotten it. I would like to see actually from Mac Jones, not necessarily in, in this game, but one thing he seems a little reluctant to do is, is take off with his legs. Yeah, there are a couple true. times he's he's rolled out. He's had like six yards in front of him. And he, like, I think he did it uh, against the Buccaneers. He threw it a horrible pass across his body intended for Johnny Smith. That was almost a Devin White pick six yep. had he been a little more uh, secure with the football Devin White was. So I'd like to see him doing like, a naked QB boot rollout. He's not going to rack 100 yards up rushing. But between, like, Mac Jones scrambling, the quick out slants, this wide decision-making, they could have gotten three yards on fourth and three. And if they didn't, I would have been totally fine with the decision-making process because 56-yarder totally. in the rain, whatever. I think at that point they were playing with house money anyway. And, yeah, there just wasn't a reality where the Patriots stopped Tom Brady from getting at least a field goal back out of that. Maybe he misses his field goal or something, but it, it seems like a questionable decision. Belichick stood by it in his postgame press conference, so he's clearly okay with the decision. But, yeah, I think uh, I think Belichick gets a, gets a C grade for his coaching on, on Sunday night. 
Totally. Like, I mean, give him credit for having a great defensive scheme to hold this Bucks team to 19 points. That's an outstanding job. Uh, and for how Matt Jones was so poised, obviously you give credit to Belichick and McDaniels for preparing him in that way. But at these crucial moments where the Patriots had the opportunity to either win the game or try and put some points on the board, it looked like Belichick surrendered. And that's something that we've seen uh, over the past couple of years, ever since Brady's left. We saw that last year with both Cam Newton as well as like whoever else was under center at that point in time, is that right before the two-minute warning, uh, if there's like a third down situation, the Patriots are more than happy to punt the ball as opposed to do what they would do with Brady and like try and put some points on the board before the half for that, whether it's a double score or just to like, get some points. And that sort of surrender makes me a little disappointed because, you know, you're, you're, as you were saying, they're playing with house money. Like they're not playing to win. They're, they're, they need big plays in order to beat teams like the Bucks and to not even try is the most disappointing part. It is. I'm not disappointed in one and three. Again, I really feel like this season's kind of a freebie in terms of wins and losses. You want to see progression and development from the team and the young rookie, and we're seeing that. So the playoffs are still in the cards, but one and three is never really good statistically for you to make a team. But I don't know. I'm not going to make that kind of prognostication. I'm happy with what I've seen so far. They could easily be three and one, possibly four and zero, but they aren't. That's football. We're a quarter of the season done. The biggest game of the season is behind us in a lot of ways. We can now just focus on a pretty manageable stretch where I think the team will really start to come into their own and define themselves. But that is for a later date, Rich Hill. As we close this podcast out, let me ask you, who gets your kind of first quarter of the season MVP on the offensive and defensive side of the ball? I think it's pretty an easy, easy answer in my opinion, but I'd love to hear what you have to say. Oh, great question. So on the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to give it to Judon. That's pretty yep. straightforward for me. He's been the best player overall for this entire team. Four and a half sacks, eight quarterback hits, six tackles for loss. I mean, he has been an absolute great signing for this team. He has made, he's basically the best player in their defensive front seven and the only one that teams have to account for. So he gets my defensive MVP. For the offensive side, I'm going to go, and this is like a little bit of a balance here. I'm going with Jacoby Myers because he is so integral to this team. You know, he leads in yards from scrimmage with 246. No touchdowns, but 246 yards from scrimmage, as well as he had these two passes for 45 yards uh, this past game. So he's been uh, such an important part for this team. My other lean would go towards Damian Harris, but if you're coming off of a game where you have negative yards, uh, it's hard to give you the first quarter MVP, even though the Patriots rely on him so much, and his fumble in week one kind of cost him that game against the, the Dolphins. So, Myers on offense, Judon on defense. I think Judon's a no-brainer. Uh, I, I think you could have gone J.C. Jackson as well. He's a legit number one corner. I really hope when Stephon Gilmore comes back, he can be another shutdown corner. Having those two guys on the outside will be such a game changer. I'm still not 100% sure what kind of guy Gilmore is going to be when he comes back, but that is a formidable cornerback tandem. Uh, should the, the, plus, Jalen Mills is playing well, and so is Jonathan Jones. So um, good for, for Judon and J.C. Jackson. I guess I'll give him mine because I don't want to zig when you zig. I'll zag when you zig. Uh, for offensive MVP, it should be James White, unfortunately, but he is now out for the year. Again, mm -hmm. I thought he'd be the MVP of the entire teams based on the scheme they run and how well he fits into it, but I'm going to be wild and creative. I'm going to say Mac Jones is my offensive MVP so mm. far. He isn't dominating on the stat sheet in terms of, you know, he's going to have 10 touchdowns and no picks and 400 yards a game, but he's playing smart, efficient football. He's instilling confidence in his team. He's doing the right things. He's saying the right things. 
and he's only four games into his career. So you got to get some leeway there, and I'm really impressed with that kid. I really, I can't say it enough. Oh, totally. And also, like, we haven't touched on this, but so many of his interceptions have just been bad luck, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I, I feel like there's been a three that have just been, like, handed away by the receiver. You know, you have that Hunter Henry one. Uh, even this Aguilar one was just bad luck. You've had these other fumbles from the running backs, whether it's Harris or Stevenson, that removed, uh, in Jonu Smith as well, that removed really solid drives or either set the opposing team up for really easy scores. And so all of these things are taking away what could be very positive. You know, we, we could be looking at uh, Mac Jones being a 70% passer with like six touchdowns and two interceptions, and we'd be like, yeah, he's the guy. And, you know, it would be very clear that he has been the best, and it's hard to see that on the stat sheet. But a lot of what has been happening has been outside of his control. So I like that. I think Mac Jones has a very high ceiling. I think we're just still scratching the surface of what he can do. And now that the first four weeks of the season are over, and plus, Patriots get to play the Texans next week. So hopefully the Patriots will be able to say, all right, Mac Jones, training wheels are off. Go put up 60 points on this Texans team, and we'll get to see what the real Mac can do. That would be sweet. I look forward to breaking down the Texans in all things week five with you on Thursday this week, Rich. Awesome. Well, until next time, Alec, you have a good one. You too, buddy. See you. All right. Later.